And I want to talk with you this morning about getting your way. Getting your way. Where in life right now are you hoping to get your way? Where in life right now are you maybe insisting on getting your way? I know if I look back on my life, there are some times when I didn't get my way and I was pretty upset about it. And then as time progressed, I look back and realize that was a good thing. I can think of this even in some really small things. For example, I know none of you ever speed when you drive around town. Um, but I do. I'm a, I'm a sinner, wretched sinner in that way. And every once in a while, I will be um, speeding. And a car will pull out in front of me that's going too slow. And I'll be frustrated. And then we'll go around a turn and there, sitting there with his radar gun out, is one of those little white paratrooper motorcycle policemen, right? And I think, well, thank you, Lord, that I didn't get my way and I didn't get to drive as fast as I wanted to. There's an old country song that says, thank God for unanswered prayer. I wonder, have you ever had a child or maybe a loved one who really insists on getting their way? And uh, especially in the case of a child, you know that what they want is not really the best thing for them. Have you ever had a loved one who's insisting on their way and you kind of know what they want is not good for them, maybe even is dangerous for them? A few weeks ago, Jack, our four-year-old boy, was running around in the backyard just soaking in the sun, just having a blast like four-year-old boys do. And the night before, he had had a slight fever of about just like 101. And so he's out there running around, and we thought, well, we should, we should just check on him, see how he's doing. So we bring him inside, and Mel had just gotten this new fangled thermometer that goes across the forehead. So we kind of swipe Jack's forehead, and it says 107. And so we do it again, and it says 107. I say, Mel, that thing's, that must be like messed up. Let's get our old under the tongue. By the way, when I was a kid, they didn't have thermometers that went on your forehead. They had them that went other places. And I'm just saying, it gets easier to be a kid with every generation, right? Well, we took our next one, which goes under the tongue, still not too bad, and it says 106.5. So we do that three times and give him some Tylenol, then call a doctor from our church family here. And the doctor says, yeah, you need to like take his clothes off, put a fan on him, put a cold washcloth on his head and get him to the emergency room. So we then give him ibuprofen as well, get him to the ER. And the funny thing with Jack is that he's just happy as a clam this whole time. Not hurting anywhere, just, can I go back outside and play? Like, you know, what's the big fuss about? So we get to the ER, they give him more drugs, it gets down to like 104.5, and Jack is just having the time of his life. He is not sitting on a hospital bed, he is sitting on a steam locomotive. And he's the engineer, and I'm his assistant, and we're just having a good time. And uh, they start doing these tests, because the doctors can't figure out, you know, why, what is his body fighting off? So they look in his ears and they do a chest x-ray and they take some blood. And with all that, Jack is doing great. And then this young kind of inexperienced nurse walks into Jack's little room behind the curtain. And here's her first word. She goes, Jack, you're not going to like this. Oh, man. 
I just looked at Mel. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, if Jack thinks it's his idea to be here and that everything is fun, it's, it's great. But if, if you tell him and you're a stranger, you're not going to like this, he's not going to cooperate anymore. It's like, okay, let's, let's just see where this goes. And, uh, and it happened to be the easiest test. It was just a, a little tongue depressor to get some saliva from the back of his mouth. Jack just starts thrashing. Takes four of us to hold him down. The lady who's coming with the tongue depressor, he just starts spitting all over her. This is what pastor's kids do. So eventually, we're all holding him down, and we get the little sample from the back of his throat. And and by the way, the, the doctors put him on antibiotic. They never knew what it was. They just put him on a strong antibiotic, and eventually, he got better. And he's fine now. It's been like a month. So you don't need to worry about Jack. I was thinking this last week as a parent, that one of the hardest moments, one of the saddest, most difficult moments of parenting is when you have to hold your child down to get a shot or to get their blood drawn or sometimes to get some medical thing that they need that will save their life, but in the moment, they don't know what's going on and they are just freaking out. And it's one of the hardest moments of parenting when in love, you have to do what the child thinks is hurting them. If they had their way, they'd play in the sun with their 107 temperature till they had a seizure, right? But sometimes their way isn't what's best for them. And it's the same way with us and our Heavenly Father. We learned last week that your Heavenly Father is actually good. That He actually wants what's best for you. We learn that he's for you, he's not against you. And part of growing up spiritually, getting past the four-year-old stage, is getting to a place where we really believe that God's desire for my life is better than my desire for my life. That what God wants for me, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not what I would pick, is actually better than my way in life. But we have times when we resist, right? Times when we start spitting on the people around us because we're not getting our way. Listen to this. As much as Jack could have trusted me that I only want his best, as much as Jack could have, when the four of us were restraining him and he's spitting, as much as he could have trusted, hey, my dad says this is good for me, in the same way you can trust your heavenly father when you feel like someone's reaching into your throat. When you feel like you're being physically restrained, when nothing is going the way that you planned, you can trust your heavenly father. And this is how Jesus taught us to pray. We start our father and we really anchor ourselves in what that means. And then we say, not my way with my life, but your way, because I trust you more than I trust myself. Here's our big idea today. Anchored in my identity as God's Beloved child, I daily tell my father that I want his desires in my life more than I want my desires in my life. Why? Because I actually, I learn as I grow spiritually to trust him more than I trust myself. To trust his goodness more than I trust my goodness. 
to trust his plans more than I trust my plans, to trust his strength more than I trust my own strength. I wonder this last week, did did the Our Father idea stick with you? Did you have a moment where maybe you were getting your blood drawn or maybe you were going through a medical test and you realized, wow, this is scary, but my father is here with me. Have you had that moment yet? And, And if not, let's just keep praying that. If you missed last week's message, it's a great one to get off of our website or on our, on iTunes. It's called Our Father. Very, very many of us who've been in church for a long time, we still don't really define ourselves the way that Jesus defined himself. More than 70 times, Jesus referred to himself as son. Do you think of yourself as a son of a good, loving father? Do you think of yourself as a daughter of a good, loving father who wants you, who cares about you, who has good plans for you, who's there to help you and listen to you? If you're like me, that's one to keep asking God to help you with. So let's look at our home text today, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Not not the Father, your Father, if you're a believer in Christ. Not the removed holy God. Yes, he's holy and he's removed, but he's your Father. It's like that old picture of of John F. Kennedy at his presidential desk there in the Oval Office and his son is peeking out from underneath the desk. That's your relationship with the creator and sustainer, the master architect and engineer of the universe. And Jesus says, start your day by reminding yourself who you are. You're his child and whose you are. You belong to him. He's looking out for you and he is set apart in heaven. He is an almighty, powerful God, just like John F. Kennedy was set apart from the world and the public, but his children could come right into the Oval Office and you can boldly go into your father's presence, knowing that he's for you, that he wants to hear from you. He wants to help you. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will, desire be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that'll be our focus today. Then Jesus continues, give us today our daily bread. Father, I need some food today. Father, here's who I am. I'm your son. And that's as much for us. You know, God doesn't need the reminder, but I think we do. I'm your son and you are holy. And Lord, in my life today, let your kingdom advance. Let your ways be done in my life. And and Father, today, by the way, I do need some bread And what else do I need? I need some forgiveness for my mistakes. And Lord, I need you to help me forgive others who've made mistakes against me. Lord, I need your protection spiritually. So lead me away from temptation and please deliver me from evil or from the evil one, from supernatural forces that exist today that want to trip me up because I'm one of your followers. Will you deliver me from those? Today, we'll focus on this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done. And by the way, we've preached on the next part, give us our daily needs. We preached on it on April 7th of last year. If you want to look it up online, April 7, 2013, it was called our daily weakness. And in that message, we saw that really the rest of the Lord's prayer 
is a daily laundry list of God, here's all of my weaknesses. Here's all of my needs. But today we see that you kind of set the table for that by first anchoring yourself in who you are as his son. And then you kind of set the table by saying, God, I'm about to tell you all my needs. I'm about to tell you all the things that are on my heart. But before I do, I just want to set the table by saying this. In all of it, I trust you more than I trust me. In all these needs that I'm about to bring to you, this place where I want physical healing, this child of mine that I'm praying for, this thing I'd like in my business, I'm going to bring you all these things, and Lord, it's a really long list, but, but before it all, before I set all these things on the table, let me just set the table by telling you, I want your way in all these things. Be, because, Father, I trust you more than I trust me. And I know that your, your plans for me are better than my plans for myself, so... Let's focus today on this one sentence. Let's start with your kingdom come. And here's the first thing. I want to tell you three things about your father's kingdom. Yeah, this is the kingdom of, of distant, powerful, almighty God. But, but it's actually the kingdom of your father, your Abba, as we learned last week. And here's the first thing about it. My father has a kingdom. You realize that? You know, uh, some of us grow up and um, uh, we don't really get too much of an inheritance financially in life. There's not too much of a, hey, here's money for college, here's this and that, and after I leave, you'll be all set. You know, but do you know that, that spiritually, in Christ, you have a father who owns a kingdom? Your dad does? And, and so you start your, your day off, Lord, I'm, I'm your son. You are holy. You are in heaven. And, and thank you, God, that my father, not only does he love me and care about me, but he's also like pretty well off. <laughs> he has a kingdom. And, and when I say, Lord, your kingdom come, I'm aligning myself. I'm acknowledging that today on fallen planet Earth, where evil is running rampant and where our bodies are broken and weather patterns are broken, that God has an unseen kingdom that is advancing and the day will come when everybody does see it. And I start my day off by reminding myself, I'm part of that. And Lord, I align myself with your kingdom and the ways that it's advancing right now in this fallen world. This world for us is like Jack's emergency room bed. We can make the most of it. and We can have a pretty good attitude about it. But if we expect it to be heaven, we're going to be disappointed. Because, because God starts the Bible by telling us that this world's broken. We're going to be poked. We're going to be prodded. And eventually we're going to breathe our last breath. So it's a hopeful thing when we say, Father, thank you that I'm part of a better kingdom. Thank you that I'm part of a country that's better managed, that has better leadership, that has no sickness, that has no pain. And Lord, that's where I belong. And today I, I just, I go into the day reminding myself that that's my real home. And down here, I will be misunderstood. Down here, I will hurt. But Father, just let me advance your kingdom today. Jesus, who we saw last week, constantly referred to himself as son. He put it this way in John eighteen thirty six: My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, this is when Jesus is being uh, arrested and he's being tried and he's about to be put on the cross. Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. 
but now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus lived the Lord's prayer out. We saw this last week with your will be done and, and, and the way that in the garden, we'll see that again today. Jesus says, Father, every day, your way in my life, not mine. And Jesus also lived every day knowing the kingdom I live for, it's not here. You know, it's not the land cruisers or the houses or any of the stuff of this world. It's all going to burn up and pass away. First John says, this world and its desires will pass away. But the person who does the will of God will live forever. Next, my father's kingdom. My father's kingdom. It outpowers any kingdom in this temporary world. And because of that, I can go into life every day with a really great confidence. I don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. Could you imagine today living in the Gaza Strip between Israel and Palestine where right now missiles are flying overhead and tank treads are grinding across the ground? Could you imagine today living in eastern Ukraine where the, these pro-Russian rebels and the Ukrainian government, it's just become all-out civil war and there's automatic machine gun fire and there's tanks and there's landmines. You know, there are Christians right now living in both of those places. There are Christians through history who've lived in places like that and they've anchored themselves in verses like this, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. In other words, let's say that China and Russia and India and the United States and all the rulers of this world decide we're all going to get together and we're going to bomb God. We're going to defeat God. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. Isaiah 40 describes all the people of the world like grasshoppers to him. That's your dad. That's the kingdom that you're part of. So no matter what happens down here to you in civil court or wherever else, you know what? You're going to be okay. You're part of a bigger kingdom. Jesus put it this way. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. In other words, yeah, there, there's some powerful people in this temporary world, but this temporary world is just a little preview to the real world, to eternity. So instead, fear the one, almighty God, who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. And, and that's your father who's that strong. And because you're in Christ and you're adopted into his family, he's never going to destroy your body and soul. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't be so afraid of people who could, who could shoot a bullet at you. What's the worst that would happen? You'll go be with your father forever. So, so you guys get what I'm trying to say? When you realize that your father has a kingdom, it gives you a fearlessness about life. Lord, as I align myself today to do your purposes, there's nothing in this world that can stop me from accomplishing your will for me today. Next, when I pray for my father's kingdom to advance... I'm actually praying for my own kingdom. Why? Because I am a co-heir of his kingdom with Christ. This is a crazy truth. And this is where it's such a shame where those of us who've been adopted into God's family, if we do spend our lives storing up treasures for ourselves on this earth and building our own little kingdom here. Because really, you don't need to build your own little kingdom here. You're already a part 
of an unseen kingdom and you're a co-heir with Christ. Look at Romans 8 verse 17. Now if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Co means equal. If indeed we share in his sufferings, you will suffer in this fallen world. You will. In order that we may also share in his glory. So when you're praying for your father's kingdom to advance, you're actually praying for your kingdom to advance. Do you realize that? Now, now you're submitted to him, of course, because his ways are better than yours. And you know that as a child of God. But, but you're actually praying. It's not like, oh, God, I don't need a kingdom. It's like, God, I'm already part of a kingdom. Help me live today like Jesus and actually live for that kingdom that matters and not for little human kingdoms on earth. You often hear with families that have big fortunes like the Campbell's Soup family or the Heinz family or the Rockefellers. You know, these, this first generation that makes these billions of dollars passes away. And then there's a reading of the will. It's often very contentious because, of course, every third cousin wants to be in on the inheritance, right? And could you imagine if you grew up and you were just like buddies with, uh, you know, like your best friend, you're just best friends with this guy and his parents are kind of like your parents and his parents happen to start, you know, the next Apple or the next Google, and then they pass away. And, and, and your buddy calls you and says, hey, dude, I'm in this mahogany-paneled room and they're reading off the will. And my parents put you in the will. They said, you're just like a son to us. You get an equal share with me and all my siblings. That's what it means to be a co-heir. And God tells us here in his word that in Christ, you are a co-heir of the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. Have you realized that before? But here's the thing, right as Paul says it, Paul says, so keep in mind, you're going to suffer on this earth. Why? Because you're a follower of Jesus and he suffered on this earth, but keep hanging in there because your suffering is going to be temporary. Your inheritance is going to be eternal. Here's another example of that in second Timothy two, verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Isn't that wild? Maybe you haven't been taught that yet about scripture. I still struggle to understand it. So when we pray, Father, your kingdom come, we're reminding ourselves his kingdom is better. We're here temporarily to advance it, to advertise it down here in the battle zone. Let others know there's a better way of life in Christ. So come to him, believe in him, follow him. We're ambassadors here in a war zone to point others to the message of life and truth. So, so do you get a little bit of an idea of what it means when you say, my father, you're good, you're holy, let your kingdom come today. Now let's talk about your will be done. This word will, Greek word thalema, simply means desire. Uh, some translations put it that way, I wish more would. It means your desire, Lord, let your desire be done. When I tell my father I want his desires to be done in my life, I am doing it in a way that forfeits. It's kind of a big word, okay? If you played sports, did you ever forfeit a game? Maybe if you don't have enough players on your team, or if your bus breaks down on the way to the game and you can't make it, you end up having to forfeit. And a forfeit is when you just throw up your hands and you just say, you win. 
Other team, you win. We just give you this one. We're not going to fight you on it. I'm not going to compete against you. And saying, Father, your desires be done in my life. Is saying, God, I'm not going to fight you about my life. I'm not going to compete with you about my life. <laughs> I'm raising the white flag. I'm, I'm surrendering any desire of mine that contradicts yours. You know, I'll be honest with you about it because you're my good dad. But if you say you know better, I trust you. I trust you if I need to be restrained, if they need to scratch into the back of my throat. In Gethsemane, we see Jesus Christ at his lowest, weakest point in all of eternity. He has intentionally humbled himself to become human. He's in a fallen world. He's separated from the Father for the first time ever, which is why he would always get apart to pray to the Father and say, Father, I need your guidance today. What's your desire for today? Jesus talks about this over and over in the Gospels. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find Jesus at this place where what he wants to do and what the Father wants him to do contradict. Because you see, Jesus sees the pain of the cross coming. He sees the suffering. And so three times, he's going to plead before his heavenly Father, God, please let me not go through this. In fact, I'll, I'll read you a little bit of it from Matthew 26. I'm going to start in verse 36, and we'll put verse 39 up on the screen in a minute. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Okay, so they just had the Lord's Supper. Judas has betrayed Jesus. Uh, the 11 are still with him. Jesus walks through the night. It's about 64 degrees this night. I looked it up. I just wanted to know. And they walk out to this garden and they're there, and they're, and they're praying, and verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, his inner circle, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Matthew twenty-six thirty-eight. then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Has your soul ever been overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Jesus, as 100% man and 100% God, his soul was. It's not unspiritual to feel that way. It's not unspiritual to go to the Father and say, I feel this way. Jesus did. Let's put 39 up on the screen. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, Thelema, desire. Yet, Father, not my desire, but as you desire. Father, I'm down here. I'm on the human side of things. And I trust you more than I trust myself. You see the big picture. You see what's necessary to complete the mission you sent me here for. And if I have to go to the cross, if I have to drink that cup of suffering, I want your desire in my life, not mine. I love that little tag in verse 44. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Three times, Jesus tells the Father, my soul's overwhelmed to the point of death. Three times he falls on his face in agony. Three times he, he cries out, Dad, if there's any other way. 
In his distress, Jesus surrendered to the Father's plan, ultimately crying out, not my desire, but your desire. Not my wishes, but your wishes. Not my plan, but your plan. I wonder as a child of God, what in your life are you still holding on to? Still saying, God, you need to do it my way. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of saying, Father, here's what I'd like, but Father, I trust you more than I trust myself. So Father, if you say this is the only way, then I trust you. I trust that it will be temporary. I trust that you will work it for good. I trust that you have a plan. I trust that you love me and you're not just going to make me suffer for the fun of it, but you're going to allow me to be part of your plan of redeeming a broken world and I'm going to trust you through it knowing it's temporary and in the end, when I look back, I'll say thank you that your way was better than my way. Well, Jesus wasn't the only hero of scripture to trust the Father like this. The Apostle Paul, I've been meditating on this for about a year now, had a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he describes it as a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. Paul had a physical chronic pain with him every day. And when he went to God and asked God to remove it, his father who loves him, his father said this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Three times. Do you notice that? Just like Jesus Three times, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord to take this chronic pain away from me. This this sickness in Paul's life, it was probably both physical and spiritual because he calls it a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my powers made perfect in weakness. Now, if it was me, I'd say, and so I went back a fourth time and a fifth time. And a sixth time, right? Wouldn't that be the American way? <laughs> but Paul surrenders. He says, okay, God, you know, you're my father. I know you hear me. I've asked you three times. I'd still love to be delivered from this pain. But if you have a plan for it, then I will boast about it. Because I trust him more than I trust me. That is why for Christ's sake, I now delight in weaknesses. I delight when I'm insulted. I delight in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. It takes a lot of confidence to really trust your father's desires more than you trust your own. You feel like you're anywhere near that place in your relationship with God. And if you're not, then like me, you can just call out to him and say, God, I want to be at that place. I want to be as surrendered as Jesus in Gethsemane. I want to be as surrendered as Paul with his thorn. I really want to trust you more than I trust myself. Really quickly, I'm going to give you three reasons. I could give you 300, but I'm going to give you three reasons to trust your father more than you trust yourself. Here's the first one, because he sees a bigger picture than you do. He sees a bigger picture than I do. Just like me with Jack in the ER when he realizes, oh, this isn't so much fun after all. And starts to go crazy resisting because all he sees at that moment is these big people who tell him it's not going to be fun. And he sees something that's coming for his throat. 
and everyone he loves is grabbing at him to restrain him and move his body the opposite way that he wants to move it. But as a loving dad, I I saw a bigger picture. I saw 107 fever. He doesn't know what that is. And I saw we, we need to know what's going on with him. You can trust your father because he does see a bigger picture, so much bigger that, I mean, I'm not even going to try to describe how much bigger the picture is that he sees. The things that seem so permanent to you are actually so temporary. And look at Jesus' life. This temporary suffering leads to an eternal glory. And that's the next reason you can trust your father more than you trust yourself. Because any temporary suffering that he allows in your life And I say the word allows because in Paul's case and in Jesus' case, God didn't send that suffering, but he did allow it. That temporary suffering will lead to eternal glory. Did for Jesus, did for Paul, will for you. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus obeyed the Father's plan to to leave heaven and step down and zip himself up in human skin and become a human, and then become a human who is hated, persecuted, tortured, killed. And because of that temporary suffering for 33 years, Jesus will be exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords for eternity. Now, we're not going to be equal kings with him, okay? He's going to be our king, but we're going to be heirs in his kingdom. And as we worship him, it's just going to be awesome, guys. Let's look at Philippians 2. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself. Okay, so, so he took a big step down to zip up human flesh. Now, he's still fully God in his nature, but he's intentionally, willingly limiting some of his attributes and power to become human. Then he humbles himself further, takes another step down by becoming obedient to death. And then... Trusting the Father's plan as our perfect example of here's what it looks like to follow God as a child of His in this fallen world. He surrenders again and steps down not only to death, but to death on the cross. Therefore, as a result of all this, because of Jesus' chosen temporary suffering in submission to the Father, God exalted Him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. All the creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every creature that exists that we can't even see right now, they're all going to be bowing down to Jesus, worshiping him for eternity. And it was through the cross. It was through the path of suffering, according to Philippians 2. I don't know if you've ever worked for a kid who inherited a business from parents and it's just one of those cases where obviously the parents had work ethic and they worked hard and this kid kind of grows up with the wealth and the accomplishments and takes it for advantage I don't know if you've ever uh, don't raise your hand had a situation like that your boss might be sitting behind you compare that with working for someone who was that first generation person who earned it who created it who started selling stuff on the corner, who who grew up in a poor part of town, and and they worked. You realize in eternity, you're going to be worshiping a king who stooped lower than a sewer rat? 
not just to exalt himself, but because he's a true good leader. He's a true king who stoops to pick up the broken and the fallen. He came down in the sewers because that's where I was. And in eternity, we're not going to be worshiping some soft-handed prince who's never seen a day of battle. He's never had a callus on his hand. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever met a, a professional athlete. It's, it's weird if they're like a really famous professional athlete because you know him on screen as kind of this like media image. And then in person, you see these huge muscles. And you realize like, wow, this person is so well known because they are incredibly powerful. Like physically, they are just, you know, especially these football players, they're just huge. And, and, or or, or uh, like a warrior, you know, it's like, you know, this guy's famous for, for fighting in these battles. And then you meet him and you realize, wow, like that, those hands actually, you know, like lifted stuff and moved stuff and... and this person's actually very strong. I don't know if that makes sense, but this is what it's going to be like when we see Jesus. He's not just going to be this like soft-handed king on a throne. Like he, he's a warrior. He's a sacrificer. He's a servant. And then we're going to see these, these scars on his hands that show us this almighty God stepped down and he suffered and temporarily he suffered, and through the path of suffering, he's going to be glorified for eternity. And as his followers were on a similar course, let's look back at Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, who will be King of kings and Lord of lords, if indeed we share in his sufferings. We walk through these temporary sufferings. Knowing that before we know it, we're going to be with him in eternal glory. Have you realized your temporary sufferings will lead to eternal glory? Paul puts it this way in Romans 8 verse 18. I consider because of this that our present sufferings, they're not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I don't know what your sufferings are right now. I don't know where right now you think, okay, Father, your desire for my life is a lot different than my desire for my life. And when are you going to come around and realize that I have a better plan than you? I don't know what your sufferings are right now, but I know what Paul's were when he wrote this. He's got a chronic thorn in the flesh, a stake through him physically. That's what that word thorn means in Greek. He's got a messenger of Satan who daily torments him. He has... He has he had a career, he was wealthy, he was well-known, he had family who loved him and were proud of him, and all that's gone. No career, no family, no earthly assets. He's been beaten. Mobs have come around him and called him names. They've thrown stones at him to kill him. He's been shipwrecked at sea, floating in the icy waters. He's been whipped on the back. Not only that, in all of that, he has close Christian friends and some of those closest friends have betrayed him, have stabbed him in the back. And on top of all that, he says, I daily carry with me the weight of all the churches because I want to see him thrive and they keep goofing up. That's where Paul, that's his suffering. Is, is yours worse than that? And he says, our present suffering, it's not even worth being compared with the glory that will be revealed in who? In you. Because you're 
a co-heir of Christ. So that's why you pray, Father, your will be done. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, your desire be done in my life. Third reason you can trust him more than you trust himself because he has miracle power to bring life from death and to bring healing from pain. And when you really believe that about your father, then you know the greater the pain, the greater the redemption is gonna be on the other side. When I see how he turns all things for good, when I see like Joseph who was sold into slavery and at the end of his life, he looks back and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When I really believe that my father has the power, he can take any evil and he's so strong that he can turn it for good. Then I realize the more painful it is now, the more beautiful it's going to be when I see him turn it for good. And so I say gladly, father, not my desire, but yours be done. So here's the question for you. Have you reached the point where you trust God's desires for you more than you trust your desires for you? Are you in a Gethsemane today where like Jesus, you've been praying over and over and you need to finally just say, Father, I know you love me, you want to hear from me, and I've told you what I'd like, but I surrender to your plan. I trust you more than I trust myself. Is there a thorn in your flesh where, like Paul, you need to surrender to the Father's ability to bring good from pain, to redeem? (laughs) And you need to start telling yourself, you know, the more it hurts now, the more beautiful it's going to be in eternity when he works all things together for the good of those who trust him, who know him, who are called by him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that their faith would be bigger than their fear. That their trust would be bigger than their doubt. Lord, I pray that they would live knowing that they are chosen and wanted by the creator of the heavens and the earth. That they know, Lord, that when they hurt, it's because they're not home yet. They know that you're delighted in them. You're pleased because we are under Christ's righteousness. So Father, right now there's a lot of Gethsemanes in this room and there's a lot of thorns in our flesh. Just like Jesus and Paul, after praying three times, said, Father, not my desire, but yours. Right now, Lord, we, we with open hands, we lay before you our physical problems our relational problems, our loneliness, our emotional problems, our financial problems, all the temporary struggles of this life. Where we have been fighting you, resisting you, competing with you, spitting at you, we say today, Father, not my desire, but yours be done. Lord, we pray that for today. We pray that for tomorrow. And we ask that we would, that you'd teach us gently as your children to live that way every day. 
to wake up knowing you've got good plans, that all the pain will be repurposed, that it's all temporary, that you're with us, you're for us, and you actually do love us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.